Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. So hello there, good evening, and welcome to another episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Once again, your host here, Adam Burns, and joining me once again over the telephone is Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing? How have you been this week? Yeah, going well, can't complain. Uh, things could be worse, so yeah, another entertaining Grand Prix to, um, for us to digest, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely, and be looking to get into it and discuss what's been going on, and of course, joining me as well this episode i have another guest we've got uh luke joining us here today so uh luke thank you for coming on the podcast this week how are you doing i'm very good thank you adam so um so let's get started So uh, first of all, what a crazy weekend we had uh, this weekend in the Grand Prix. Of course, compared to last week, we had a very, very uh, action-packed weekend in the Austrian Grand Prix. And of course, we were hoping for something a bit similar. And needless to say, I think uh, the Styrian Grand Prix, which obviously was hosted at the same event, but with a different name named after the Styrian Mountains, just a... about a couple of miles away from Spielberg, but nonetheless, it certainly delivered different talking points, but definitely was action-packed nonetheless. So, um, of course, you guys would have watched that race in great detail, and I think first thing let's talk about is the champion, Lewis Hamilton, back on top form again, controlling the race, and I think, effectively, the most impressive moment of that weekend was in qualifying. Well, I predicted that the last week, didn't I? The last episode, I did predict that you know, after after a, a weak weekend by standards, like Lewis does generally tend to bounce back, you know, the following weekend. And, I mean, that, that qualifying lap he put in, to be 1.2 seconds ahead of the guy behind him, I mean, for those who don't know much about F1, that is a massive margin. Put in the champion's drive, you know, just just, just dominated the pace, you know, looked after the tyres all race. It, it was vintage Lewis Hamilton, so he'll be buoyant going into the next race. And... Um, but I must, uh, I must say, Verstappen really outperformed that car to even give Red Bull like, half a chance to even scrap with Lewis, to be honest. Yeah, I think there's a trend going on with Verstappen. Obviously, we know him as one of the best drivers at getting the absolute maximum out of his car, and he's proved that at Red Bull, and it's clear to see where Red Bull is struggling, mostly on the straights. So perhaps they'll be closer to Mercedes in future races rather than a power-sensitive circuit like the uh, Red Bull ring tends to be. But of course, talking about that qualifying lap, and I think, personally speaking, I've watched Formula 1 for a long time, and we've always had debates on who is the best driver in wet conditions. Now, whilst I'm not here to say that I believe that's Lewis Hamilton, because personally I don't, but that doesn't mean to say he's not up there with the absolute best of the best of the best. Of course, your other opinions may differ from that. But one thing I will say is for a long time, since the uh, Brazilian Grand Prix, I think it was back in 2016, where Max Verstappen, particularly in the second half of the race, put one of the best wet weather performances I'd seen. I would like to 
basically raise a, a, a motion, if you like, to basically suggest that can we put this debate to bed that Lewis Hamilton is without doubt the best wet weather driver, at least in this current crop of drivers, or at least in Lewis's career, because I've seen so many brilliant performances from Lewis. Of course, the British Grand Prix in 2008 was fantastic. Um, also, the wet weather performances he's put in in Mercedes over the years. I mean, the last eight races that have been affected by wet weather, Lewis Hamilton has won six of them. And with Max Verstappen winning the others, I just feel that, especially in qualifying, when we saw two cars, two drivers had similar levels of drivability and grip. And on that final lap, Lewis delivered under pressure and Max made that one little mistake out of turn nine, which really ruined his lap. It just goes to show that as great as Max is, I feel like we need to start talking about how brilliant Lewis is in the wet because I just don't think he gets the respect and adulation he deserves as far as wet weather driving is concerned. It was probably one of the most exciting qualifiers I've ever seen. Like, I've not... I mean, over the course of the last few years where they obviously changed the regulations of, you know, Q1 to Q2, Q3, obviously we've had a lot of dry, you know, qualifiers where... There'd only be a couple of runs in the session, like especially Q3 for pole position. But yeah, I felt that you know it was just lap after lap after lap, and just like they were getting much more grip, like Hamilton and Verstappen especially. But just overall, like they were just cancelling each other out at each point. And we obviously know that Hamilton's got the better car than Red Bull, but I, I totally agree with what um, Adam's saying. I think Lewis in a wet conditions, especially in this current climate of drivers and stuff, I think he's over it. He's just extraordinary, like, extraordinary to watch sort of thing, you know, like how he just gets all that grip and speed in such difficult conditions. So, nothing more to say. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, generally speaking, when it rained, it, it tends to, you know, the, the, the package of the cars tend to cancel themselves out a little bit. Not entirely, of course, but, the, you know, the, the ability of the driver tends to come into it more. And, like, I mean, performances like that, you, you, you're watching a masterpiece by a legend. You know, when he, you don't tend to appreciate drivers when they're still when they're still racing. But when Lewis retires, you're going to look back on moments like this and actually realise how much of a legend he really is. I mean, even just folding on to, like, the... I mean, obviously they had a really good battle in qualifying, but even the likes of Norris, you know, he was, you know, sort of pushing as best as he can. Obviously, he hasn't got the quickest car, but it was just such exciting to see other drivers in that Q3, especially like being able to push as as fast as they can throughout lap after lap, and it was just it was unbelievable to watch. Well, yeah, Carlos Sainz did really well as well, didn't he? Yeah. In that qualifying session. And, yeah, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, obviously that was qualifying. We saw some good performances from a lot of good drivers until Lewis did set that incredible lap, 1.2 seconds faster. Clearly, as far as wet weather driving goes, probably one of the best wet weather qualifying laps I think I'd seen in a long, long time, maybe ever. But of course, that's always up for debate in other in other ways. But uh, moving on to the race, of course, following on from that qualifying session, the race points are awarded on the Sunday. And as we said already, Lewis Hamilton responding to an otherwise difficult week in the opening race of the season to pretty much have that race under his control. Even Toto Wolff said afterwards, if Lewis was under pressure, he still had more pace in reserve. Quite often Mercedes say that, and they do tend to mean that. That's not really a bluff. So sending 
or if they hadn't already sent shockwaves down the field after last week, they certainly did this week with how brilliant they were. And of course, that was completed by Valtteri Bottas making the move on Max Verstappen towards the end of the race. Almost seemed rather calculated, didn't it? Because Max had got in between the two Mercedes in qualifying. He'd stayed there throughout the entirety of the race, absolutely extracting the maximum out of the Red Bull. And it always seemed inevitable that when Bottas was really allowed to you know, loosen the reins on that car, really push, he was able to close up to Verstappen and eventually pass him. Although certainly wasn't easy. Max did not make that easy for him with that excellent piece of defensive driving, almost disguising that he was going to allow Valtteri to go. And then obviously into turn five around the outside, a similar move that Albon tried on Lewis Hamilton the week before, only this time it paying off for Max, but it was only delaying the inevitable that Mercedes, especially in Lewis and Bottas's hands is just a, a different league altogether to everything else right now. I, I think we, um, you know, given the radio messages, you know, Max Verstappen almost seemed dejected. Like he was, as as much as he extracted out the car, he 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 knew that it, it was an acceptance after pre-season testing that Mercedes are in a league of their own. And I, I said it before, I am getting 2014 to 2016 season feels about this car. Well, so far anyway. Yeah, this doesn't seem to be much competition. It seems to be Max and Red Bull pretty much single-handedly uh, giving the putting the fight to Mercedes. And we, you're right in mentioning that we're getting these kind of vibes from previous seasons where Mercedes have been absolutely dominant. And I think one of the big talking points that we have to look into as to perhaps why we're getting that uh, mundane sensation, if you like, where it's, it's not necessarily boring. Of course, Bottas does look very impressive. And again, getting that second place the best he can do in that situation but of course he will take the fight to Lewis on other days and hopefully they can have a proper ding-dong championship battle like Hamilton once had with Nico Rosberg in Mercedes as well so I think that's what we're hoping for but I think one of the big reasons why perhaps a lot of teams and or a lot of fans are probably a bit disappointed by how good the Mercedes is is because of how bad Ferrari are and bloody hell mate yeah we talked about this last week, and as a Ferrari fan myself, as we try to stay impartial, but clearly we forget that every single week, it's very, very discouraging to know that whilst that car is an improvement in the corners, updates aside, it's still languishing in a straight line. Now, one of the reasons where that could be is a, a German... Sky Germany and Asmus as well, German-based tabloids, have reported that that Ferrari engine is down on power by at least 40 to 45 brake horsepower, which is night and day in Formula 1. I mean, to put that in perspective, that was the power Honda was lacking when they first were in Formula 1 compared to the leading uh, manufacturers. To And given all of the controversy and investigation that the FIA had on the Ferrari power unit over winter... And of course, with the resolution that was agreed between the two in confidential manner, it seems to me that it's obvious that they found something quite significant on the Ferrari. Not just a little thing that gave them the extra boost, but something that really contributed a large portion of their engine power, which they've now had to remove, rebuild under the current regulations. And as a result, they are really, really struggling. I don't think there's any deniability about it. I mean, even with DRS, it's just like they can't catch up to the Mercedes imagine like say Leclerc was under a second behind Hamilton in a straight line 
he's got DRS assistant. I mean, even with the DRS, it sounds like, you know, that wouldn't even help Ferrari, really. Like, the brake horsepower issues, you know, would that... It, would that would Hamilton probably be laughing, like, oh, the Yank is still going to get past me. You know, the, the Mercedes is just obviously a lot more quicker than the Ferrari, and, and at the moment the Red Bull is, and it's... I don't know what Ferrari are going to do for Hungary, but um, let's see if these upgrades are going to work for them. I think it is like apparent that some, something if he was up last season with the engine, and they've been, you know, the FIA have told him you can't be running it again this season to, you know, avoid any more trouble with this. So it's, it's apparent something was wrong last season. Um, but I think I think the, the the problem with Ferraris. There are some deep issues within that team. Like, as a neutral, I do kind of get... I, I kind of relate Ferrari to Arsenal, to be honest. <laughs> you know, almost like the, the banner <laughs> team, you know, where there's, where, there's, where there's always a drama, where there's internal struggles... <laughs> Um, high pro, high profile incidents that you know that become memes. Do you know? Do you, do you kind of what? Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I think I understand that more than most. Um, for the for the benefit of those listening in, wondering who that's laughing, that's Luke laughing because Luke's a Liverpool fan and knows that I'm an Arsenal fan, and obviously that that one hurt so, a little Ma- bit. So Matteo Bonotto is basically Arsene Wenger at Arsenal over the years. Well, <laughs> n- not necessarily. I mean, I mean, a football aside. Um, with the situation at Ferrari, obviously the wet weather and qualifying was meant to be something that would help them. Now, of course, we know that Ferrari were fast-tracking some upgrades. And, of course, first of all, it's brilliant to see when teams are having to fast-track upgrades. They're able to get the job done and get it there. They were able to get both the parts. They had a new front wing and a new floor design. The latter very much inspired by Mercedes's floor. So, of course, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. It's certainly a step in the right direction. But, unfortunately... In the wet weather, in qualifying, despite Sebastian Vettel saying the car handled a lot more like it did last week in Friday, which was a good thing because it didn't handle, it didn't translate into the race. But he did say it was a bit better. It may not have brought out the free temps in performance that they were expecting, but it certainly was a step forward. But the wet weather in qualifying exposed not only is the Ferrari bad in a straight line, it's not a very drivable car, and this is something that Ferrari prided themselves on. Throughout the turbo hybrid era, it's having a very nimble, drivable car. They seem to have lost that as well over the last few years. I think that's something... They've that... made a massive step back, and I, I, yeah. I, I just don't understand how they've managed to do it. You know, they had they had some kind of momentum going into this season, and it's just completely vanished. They've, they've gone... They've gone back massively. At one point last year, they were quicker than Mercedes. Well, in, in, test, yeah. in testing they were. And for all the world, it looked like Ferrari were going to dominate. But of course, what we saw was Mercedes brought a revised version, a speed spec car, if you like. And that went on to dominate the championship in the manner it did. And Ferrari were left scratching their heads. This year, they've obviously realised the design flaws in their current concept from pre-season testing. And have had plenty of time to develop updates and upgrades to change the concept of the car. So it's going to be like a B-spec version of that. But quite honestly, without even discussing what happened in the race, it seems that Ferrari are just at loggerheads right now. And of course, with the engine regulations frozen to the point where you can only make one uh, upgrade to your engine and it has to be for reliability now of course we should stress guys that that doesn't necessarily mean that a performance upgrade is not allowed it just means that 
the reason for your upgrade or update to the engine must be to improve reliability. And of course you can, if, you, if you're able to do so, chuck in extra horsepower. So when Ferrari do go yeah. about that, they have to make sure it's significant. But moving aside from that, I mean, that's one thing and the struggle's there. Then we move to the race. The drivers, obviously Sebastian Vettel, 10th. Leclerc got a penalty for holding up Kvyat, so he was relegated to 14th. And what transpired about 30 seconds after the start of that race just sums up the entire mood and vibe at Ferrari right now. Of course, Vettel not having the best getaway, Leclerc having a slightly better getaway. Of course, both bunched up in the midfield trying to break free from the uh, stragglers behind and make their way towards the likes of Racing Point, Renault, McLaren. Um, And at turn three, what can only be described, in my opinion, as a brain fart or lapse of concentration, if you like, for Charles Leclerc uh, to drive into Vettel in turn three, going for a gap that was never going to be there by the time his Ferrari got there and took him and his teammate Sebastian Vettel out of the race. Now, I mean, I'll go on to my next point about this, but I mean, what did you guys think of that incident? Did you feel that was fully on Charles or did you feel that that was something that both Ferraris should have managed? it, it, It definitely was a mistake by Charles and... To be honest, I, I thought I, I thought it was the other way around. I, I, when I when I first saw the um, the on board, I thought it was Vettel going into the club, but it wasn't. It no, was the, the other way around. And yeah, yeah. I, and I can't I can't help but feel that you know you kind of touched on it yourself just now. It's it's giving all the hallmarks of an unhappy team at the moment, and the problem they have is because of incidents like this. Not only because of their performance. And you've got incidents like this. Even if they do catch up in terms of raw pace, they've already got so many points to make up. You know, especially considering we could be having a short championship this season. Yeah, yeah. And, and Sky and Sky had the same thing. And uh, Martin Brundle actually got the drivers confused. He thought it was Vettel going into the Clare. So, I mean, I, I saw it and I knew what Charles was trying to do. And quite frankly, I said on last week's episode, for those of you guys that listened to that, I was very, very much in full praise for Charles Leclerc. I agreed. I felt it was one of his best performances in Ferrari. And I kind of hope that this was one of those turn-the-corner moments where Charles Leclerc was going to put together more performances like he did towards the second half of last season and cut out the mistakes that not only cost himself races, but also the team big points that get thrown away. To go from last week to seeing that, as a Ferrari fan, is really disappointing because it's one of those moments where if Sebastian Vettel had done it, it would just add to the mistakes and the misfortunes that he's had, almost spiralling out of control, no pun intended. But to see Charles doing that, pulling a move like that, and he did the same thing in Monaco. I remember last season in Monaco, he was at the back of the grid, and he's put those moves at Raskas, and it paid off, but he was always flying a bit too close to the sun and then eventually he got caught and he ended up retiring. It's the same sort of thing where you really need to pick and choose your moments if you're Charles Leclerc. It was a very stupid thing to do. And what worries me is that those are going to be the moments that are going to dictate his uh, time at Ferrari. And if this is a driver that they want to get behind unanimously, which I believe they have done, it doesn't set a good precedent, especially with a new driver like Carlos Sainz coming in. And he will certainly not be making those kind of mistakes. He will be punishing someone like Leclerc, who is supposed to be the team leader. So, food for thought there. And I mean, It looked like a carbon copy for what Vettel did the week before. 
I'm, I'm pretty sure that Leclerc would have had a look at that incident that happened with Vettel and we've seen Vettel over the over the last couple of years he's made them sort of mistakes I mean I just, I just found it bizarre why Leclerc would try that I mean especially on lap one where there wasn't any room at all like they're all congested together on the start of the race um, I mean personally I'd have just tucked in behind Vettel and you know tried to attack him maybe in the next corner if something would have happened to other cars on the outside of that of that turn because you see Perez was going off on that side. I, I can't remember who was the other driver that went off, you know, sort of on that turn three. But, I mean, I just... I mean, all, I mean if you're putting the jokes aside of it, could is it Leclerc getting his own back on Vettel for what he did in Brazil? Or was it... You know, I mean, they've they've had incidents, you know. Like, I just don't understand what is going on at Ferrari. Like, they've... I mean, we all understand, I believe, that Leclerc is now the main man. But... I just don't understand why they're having these incidents. We don't see this with Bottas and Hamilton and, you know, Albon with Verstappen. They're, you can see that there's a great team eff, like ethic there, but there's always con- controversy with Ferrari each race now, and it's really concerning for them. I, I personally feel that it's there's a cultural issue. Now, me and Ad, uh, Luke, me and Adam have discussed this many times, actually, like throughout like, previous episodes. I personally believe there's a deep cultural issue within... Ferrari, because unlike any any other team in Formula One, Ferrari is pretty much a national institution, and with that comes a lot of pressure. Yeah. And these drivers make a lot of rash decisions because they want to be the hero or they want to be getting themselves into race winning positions as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And and the pressure shows. You know, you have previously good drivers making amateurish decisions. I agree. I agree with that. I think. I mean, Mercedes, of course, is you know the the, the top dogs at the moment, but especially at Ferrari with the history that they've got and you know mm. Ferrari is I think Paul the rest has said a week or two ago that um, he I think it was the first race of the season that he had some brief talks with Ferrari and he was saying about um, like when you walk into the doors of Maranello like it's you, you feel like once you put that red suit on you know you can see like the, the greatness of being in that situation but you just know the pressure that you're going to be under driving under that car so, yeah, I, I kind of see what you mean, and um, just hopefully they can get it right soon enough. Yeah, it's a very volatile situation at Ferrari. Of course, Matteo Benotto in particular, very, very good in terms of his involvement with the engine over previous years, and of course, a uh, very, very brilliant, astute technical mind at Ferrari, put in the precarious position where he's having to wear two hats even still, where he's trying to manage the technical side, but also running the team in general. And it's one of those things that we talked about a lot in a couple of, uh, in an episode in particular, where we talked about whether or not it was Vettel's fault or Ferrari's fault or Ferrari, where it went wrong. And we said that the involvement of senior management in Ferrari, in contrast to just letting the team manage itself, can be quite hurtful and detrimental. And ever since Enzo Ferrari passed away many years ago, back in the 70s, it always created, uh, sorry, not the 70s, uh, later on, it always created these problems for them. And it's something that's really, they managed to get on top of when the likes of Braun, uh, Ross Braun, I should say, Jean Todd and Michael Schumacher formed that almost holy trinity, if you like, for Ferrari, which coincided with their best and most dominant period. But that incident in particular, not only did it detriment their race and cost them points, which was on the cars, of course, it's Ferrari, they're always in for points, but those upgrades I mentioned earlier that they fast-tracked, they never really got a chance to really see 
and analyse how effective they were. So they're going to be going into Hungary, albeit a track that will probably favour them a bit more, given its nature of favouring more downforce over speed. They're not really going to know the truth until perhaps another couple of races. So plenty of work for Ferrari to do. And uh, I think I can speak for all Formula 1 fans to hope that they manage to get on top of it and start making their way up the order. Because the championship needs Ferrari. All jokes aside, and it's very easy to banter them, um, other fans and in the sport because of their success and because of the fact that there's such a big team tripping over themselves. But the reality is Mercedes need a rival in Ferrari. The Red Bull need rivals like Ferrari. The sport needs Ferrari. And I think what we saw in that race was a glimpse of what would Formula One be like without Ferrari. And I'll be honest with you, it was a good race, but it wasn't the same without them. Not for the better either. So um, hopefully they can find a way to get it together. Um, and that brings us on to uh, a couple of other things we'll talk about. I mean, Renault were very, very good. I think a much better return to form for them. Um, you know, Daniel Ricciardo had problems in qual- uh, in practice. We had that accident. He was okay. Ocon and Ricciardo performed very, very well. Despite Ocon's retirement, which we believe it was a break issue, the pace of the Renault was definitely up there with the likes of uh, for C- uh, Racing Point and McLaren for a large part of the race, to which where Daniel Ricciardo almost beat them. So uh, great to see Renault back up the front, Courtney, would you say? Well, yeah, well, I mean, the midfield has actually provided um, the most entertaining racing for the last few seasons. And, I mean, race, Racing Point, I mean, they're, they're, there's a lot to say about Racing Point at the moment. But just to see, like, you know, the last, the last couple of laps, to see, you know, the Renault... The two racing points and the McLaren all racing each other, giving us some entertaining, like some entertainment towards the end, was probably the highlight of the race itself. So, the more competitive the midfield is as a neutral, you know, I'm happy to see it. Well, Ferrari are in there now, so they might make it a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ferrari seems to be languishing behind those, so they've completely skipped that into yeah. a league of their own fighting the Alpha Tauri. Well, you know, but, uh, Williams and Alfa Romeo need a bit of a push as well. So, yeah. Know. But uh, no, I, I definitely think the midfield is definitely where the battle is at the moment in the championship. As you're right to point out, Corny, it's been that way for a few seasons and it's so good that on occasion, and we're probably going to see this a lot more this year, the midfield are challenging the front guys. They really are becoming a bit more than the odd nuisance. They really are yeah. on their case. I just hope in races to come that that trend continues and this isn't just a one-off because the pack tends to be closed up in Austria because of the nature of it being a shorter circuit and more reliable on power. So aero efficiency doesn't really play too much of a factor. But I'm hoping for more well, to come. And, and I think one driver we have to mention in this episode and Courtney, I'm sure we talked about him a lot last week, but once again, Lando Norris, his last lap heroics, once again, last week it was third, this week he snatched fifth place, finishing ahead of both racing points and finishing best of the rest, only the two Red Bulls and the two Mercedes finishing ahead of him. So what a job and what a start to the season Lando Norris is doing for McLaren. For me, like Lando Norris at the moment, apart from the Mercedes, I've you know he's definitely been the the talk of the the new season. Um, obviously his uh, his job with the esports and obviously promoting the sport has been fantastic. And he you can see with his driving, um, he's as Courtney mentioned before, maybe about Verstappen, he's outperforming that McLaren slightly a little bit. And yeah, I agree with that. And just pushing on like with I mean going back to qualifying sort of thing as 
Adam was saying about the midfield runners sort of pushing the top guys. I know it was wet conditions, but it was so healthy and great to see the likes of Norris and Sainz, Perez, you know, and Ocon especially as well. They really, really pushed them to their limits. And it's just really good to see that someone, a young British driver like Lando Norris, is doing very, very well. And hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll get a big drive and possibly a future world champion maybe. It might be a bit early to say, but... You never, never know. Well, I've I've noticed, and I, and I had slight suspicions last week, but I really am noticing a change in mentality in Lando. Yep, he's, he's still up for having a laugh and everything. It's great to see. You know, I said it again last week. He, he He's already becoming a superstar with the fan base within the sport. That's already happening. But most importantly, he's taken a big, big step forward with his performance. And he's also, slowly but surely becoming the main man at McLaren. He's showing a, a maturity. He's he's getting that balance. Well, I was a little bit fearful of when he first came into the sport. He's getting that balance right between, you know, being the popular guy and actually taking the racing seriously. And, and, and he's, he's already showing for, for a guy, let's, let's not forget, 20, almost 21 years of age, he's already showing leadership skills that actually some of the other um, younger drivers should um, have, like, look to as an example. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, Courtney, I think it's fair to say that Lando, since he's been in Formula 1, could be considered as a meme king or a bit of a court jester, if you like, in the same way that Daniel Ricciardo has been in some regards, which is quite interesting given that those two are going to be paired up next season. And I think it's important to focus on that level of maturity and discipline that Lando has obviously worked on over the winter break. He's a funny guy. He likes to have a laugh. He likes to play jokes. He's a young lad. Of course, we all do. Uh, Even when we were that age, we were like that. But he's got the added responsibility and pressure of driving for a team like McLaren. And as you said, Courtney, being a potential team leader in years to come. And with someone like Danny Ricciardo coming along, who we know he's quick. We know he's a race winner. We know if he had the right tools, could put together a championship challenge. But the question mark hands over Lando, because we've never seen him in that level of machinery. Now he's in a car capable of doing more and getting the odd podium, as he's now done there is always going to be those questions as how will he stack up to someone like a Ricardo's. And I think so far he's doing all the right things and he's been very strong. Third in the championship, of course, a fastest lap, a podium to his name. And again, brilliant, brilliant stuff and brilliant strategy from McLaren as well to make that switch between the two cars. Because if they didn't do that with the different strategies, Lando would have been stuck with signs in eighth or ninth position. That's a point worth raising. McLaren are the absolute opposite of Ferrari. You see the difference between the team that is happy and the team that, that's unhappy. You can you can see Carlos Sainz move move the side, let Lando through and and gain the points. You know, big points finish towards the um, end of the race. And then you look at Ferrari. You've got drivers making rash decisions and two DNFs. And and that that's it goes back to that original point. A happy team is um, a successful team. Again, if, uh, Mercedes are the are the benchmark. Reason for that is Mercedes are a, a well-run team, and they've got you know obviously you've got Lewis who's the main guy, and all, but you've got a good team player who's also hungry, Valtteri Bottas. Hmm. So McLaren, a prime example of you know a well-run team that's happy. And they're successful, and it may be, you know, Ferrari should have a good look at McLaren. There's just one thing I wanted to touch on that, what you said, Courtney, about, you know, sort of, I think McLaren, it's quite sort of intriguing for me where 
Carlos Sainz, we know, is going to Ferrari next season. Um, mm. I mean, easily, he could obviously, when he got told to, you know, to sort of move aside from Norris, he could have been really, really stubborn about it and thought, no, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to just carry on. You know, nothing's going to, you know, nothing's going to come from it. And I'm just going to go ahead. But, I mean, that's something maybe that Sebastian Vettel might do. You know, we've seen, obviously, the Multi-21 and all yeah. other different things that exactly. he's done in his career. But, you know, like, it's it's just a difference in where we know Vettel's leaving. And it's like, he's got that mindset. It's like, oh, well, uh, it's the end of the season for me. I'm going and I'm just going to go ahead of every race now. But Carlos Sainz is totally opposite. He's just like, nope. Like, I'm going to do what the team is best, you know. And, and as you can tell... As you've said, it's obviously a much happier place to be, and McLaren are, are rightfully being rewarded for it. So you know, fair play to them, and hopefully for them it continues. Well, I mean, we should point out that Vettel himself has said he will drive with the team's best interest at heart, and so far this season, from what we've seen, I have got no reason to doubt that. So far, despite issues that have happened in past races, and of course, what happened in this one with Charles Leclerc. If anything, we've seen. Ferrari show little to no love to Vettel given that situation. We won't go into that too much because we talked about that last week, but it seems interesting that we find Vettel often talking to other team bosses from other teams like Toto Wolff. Of course, he spoke to this weekend and Diedrich Mateschift, the owner of Red Bull as well after that race, but we'll talk into that a bit more detail later on. Um, one last point to raise with McLaren. Let's not forget that they're going to be having a Mercedes engine next season. Um, and at the moment, it seems that Mercedes have the fastest engine. And it just seems that McLaren are on an upward trajectory, and there's no reason if if Red if um, Red Bull don't you know keep their game going and and Ferrari continue the falter, there is no reason why McLaren can't be regular po- podium or even race winning contenders going into next season. No, that is a very very good point. Given that McLaren are running Renault engines, which a lot of us seem to be of the opinion that's the worst engine on the grid, relatively speaking, it's not a bad engine, but the Honda one seems to have been better than the other two. Well, we say the other two, I mean Ferrari. Ferrari's not the worst engine at the moment. I mean, Ferrari's (laughs) struggling for performance themselves. But uh, nonetheless, of course, as we said before, I think that's a good opportunity to uh, end this first part. And uh, in the second part, we will talk about the Hungry preview and, of course, a few other talking points that have surfaced over the week. So uh, we'll see you in part two. So hello there and welcome back with the second part of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So uh, obviously we've moved on from the actual race itself in Austria, we're looking ahead, but of course we've had a few bits of news, quite intriguing news that's happened in the week and obviously following, but the first of which I think we should cover, the news about, uh, well so the news that preceded the race itself, Renault. They have officially launched a formal protest to the validity of the racing point. And there's a few things that they've obviously looked at in particular. But the FIA looked into this and they deemed it admissible. And they have seized a few racing point parts to, pr- to see if they can prove or disprove the Renault protest. And basically what it revolves around is, guys, that for those of you that are familiar to Formula 1 at the moment or followed this podcast, will know that... The current racing point, the RP20, shows a lot of similar hallmarks and very heavily influenced by the design of the last year's Mercedes W10. Uh, hence why it's been nicknamed the Pink Mercedes or... Or the tracing point. Exactly, my personal favourite tracing point. <laughs> I think very, very clever. But nonetheless, there was always going to be protests from a lot of teams back as far as Melbourne in March, whether or not this car was legal. And obviously we didn't see how good it was, but... 
having seen the performance of that racer point, especially in Sergio Perez's hands, where he started it was the 17th, 18th, and got all the way up to the point where he was challenging Alex Albon for fourth, did raise a lot of eyebrows and a lot of questions over to whether or not Racing Point were running practically a carbon copy of the Mercedes. Now, a little bit of context on this, guys, and, and bear with me just for a few moments to explain the details of what Renault's protested in. So, in Formula 1, we have what we call listed parts. Now, listed parts are basically just standard parts that the FIA lays out that the teams or manufacturers, if they wish, can buy from other teams um, and it's perfectly legal. Haas did this back in 2017, and sorry, 2018, with the Ferrari. They bought some standard parts off of them. That's absolutely fine. Also, teams are allowed to outsource uh, design and works to companies outside of Formula One. Haas did this as well back in 2018. They um, inquired the services of Delara who is an Italian-based uh, designer, manufacturer. They design the chassis for the F2 cars now, and they design parts of the Haas in the 2018, uh, the, the car that a lot of people bear similar resemblance to, the Ferrari. Now, that's absolutely fine. What Renault are protesting is that the racing point has similar designs to the Mercedes W10. And where it's significant is that they believe that this was outsourced with the intellectual property design that Mercedes had for the W10. Remember, if you cast your minds back to testing, Andy Green uh, said quite openly that this was very that it's very much inspired or heavily influenced by the design of the Mercedes. But he did not say that they'd basically taken the Mercedes blueprints and handed them to an outsourced um, supplier or designer or did it themselves and basically did that. Because technically speaking, if they had done that and it was intellectual property of the Mercedes team that they'd managed to get a hold of and use to design their car, that is illegal. And that is what Renault are protesting. And they are basically saying, without any further explanation that that racing point was designed using mercedes owned designs of the w10 and they built their car around that now of course the fia will have to look into this and they are going to investigate this they have seen some parts i know they mentioned brake ducts and a few aero bits to see if there is without shadow of a doubt that racing point have basically just made themselves a pink mercedes for lack of a better phrase and uh, this is going to be one that may run on for some time. This is going to be quite an invest interesting investigation. But, uh, Courtney, what do you... I'm going to come to you first. What do you think of this uh, development for Renault? Do you think the protest and investigation has legs? Or do you think it will just be one of those where they just want clarity and then that will be that? Um, well, first of all, I don't, I don't blame Renault for, you know, protesting because... You know they want they want to make sure that you know as as we said it's it's pretty competitive in the midfield and they just want to make sure that they're competing on a fair standard. So I don't I don't blame Renault for doing it. But wasn't there like a, a protest in um, in testing where the FIA agreed that it was legal? So unless they've found something new, I mean. <sighs> At this point, you wouldn't think the protest does have much legs unless they have found new evidence to suggest that there is something dodgy going on. Well, Renault very much believe that they do have evidence of this. Now, the FIA investigation that you mentioned was regarding the amount of listed standard parts. 
that and obviously the certain parts that could be constructed elsewhere from outsourcing which we mentioned that was deemed legal however if and this kind of reminds me of the uh 2008 saga between ferrari and mercedes where uh, a former ferrari uh, engineer had leaked uh, blueprint designs of their car and gave them to a, a mclaren engineer which of course was illegal because it's basically stealing intellectual property, which of course is a legal yeah. form one. Hence, why McLaren, uh, which heavily influenced their 2008 car, and that's why they were banned and uh, disqualified from the constructors' championship for that season. And and it's the similar precedent here. I mean, the the one question I think we have to ask is: Do we think Renault are literally trying to see if there is, or they they have any proof that there is wrongdoing being done here, or are they just doing it in the hope that something's going to be found and they're just doing it out sour grapes? Because quite frankly, Racing Point, uh, a small team, like many teams in Formula 1 with a small budget that don't have much facilities available to them, have decided to be clever and basically just design a car based on the best car in the field from the previous year, which, as we've seen... It's faster than probably almost every car, with the exception of the current Mercedes and the Red Bull. So there is a lot to it. Um, Luke, what do you think? I mean, just the only thing I wanted to say briefly, quickly, was uh, hopefully Haas have kept their receipts from the Ferrari ones that they bought a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, but, I mean, just... I, I saw, I think it was... Um, I think Ricardo and Stroll, I think it was near the end of the race... And um, I mean, I don't really know much too much about it. Like from what you've said, I mean, it makes a bit more sense. But I just noticed like the 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 difference in straight line speed from Stroll, like from this weekend. I think he, there was a, I think there was an incident just after sector two. Like they had a bit of a, a battle for position, and then Stroll came out on top. And I just realised as he came out the corner, he he pulled a second out of Ricardo, and I thought like that was it was just ridiculously too like quick. Like I didn't think like I don't I don't obviously like when you've got better grip and better racing line speed, but obviously you're gonna get a bit further away. But I've never seen a racing point go that fast away from a car like that. Well, I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot of reasons why that might be. First of all, the Mercedes engine being very very powerful, Stroll may uh, may have used the overtake button to give him that extra boost. Yeah. The um the wake and turbulent air of the racing point would have affected the handling. What you tend to often see in Formula One especially a track like Austria in the middle sector at turns six and seven, where when an overtake is made, I think this happened to Lando where he lost the place and the car in front just pulled a long way ahead of him. And that can be down to the lack of downforce he has following the car in front. You get that all in one big wave and your car has half the downforce, not to mention the power deficit he would have had. So that that tends to be normal. If it was a Mercedes or for, I mean, that, just in that point alone, if it was... If it was a Mercedes or a Ferrari, obviously with a Ferrari their speed before, I could think, okay, fair enough. You know, I expect that. But to see that for a racing point, I just thought, really, like, uh, and then I can maybe understand a little bit why Renault were protesting. I, I think I think it was the, the the fact that they were challenging a Red Bull. Like usually, like I understand there's a difference in the, uh, there is a clear difference in ability between Albon and Verstappen, but. For a racing point to be challenging a Red Bull, that 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 was a thing that made me think. Oh wait a minute, there's a, there's a bit more to this story. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Actually, I think we were joking and expecting perhaps they might challenge Ferrari if they had a bad day, but yeah. 
the fact that you're right that Perez went from 18th all the way up to challenging Albon to the point where he would have overtook him but obviously damaged his front wing and obviously that cost him not only fourth but fifth as well with Lando Norris passing him on the very final corner um but of course we'll have to wait and see what the FI investigation it does look like it has some level of merit to it so we'll have to wait and see what the outcome is it'll be a very interesting one to see all the teams will be very eager to see what happens to them Moving on to some other news now, obviously outside of Austria now, the contract situations. Now, we've had a few breaking stories in the week. Of course, we mentioned one of which that was likely to happen in last week's podcast, and that's Fernando Alonso coming back to Formula One. It's been confirmed now. He's signed an agreement with Renault for the next two years to come back in 2021 to replace Daniel Ricciardo. Now, uh, I've already put my thoughts on this. I will go into a little bit how this might affect the academy. But Courtney, are, are you surprised? Are you looking forward to seeing Fernando back in Formula One? Um, I'm not entirely surprised. I mean, I've, you know I, I call um, Fernando Alonso Mr. Renault because this will be his third stint with them. Um, as, as, as a fan of the sport, I do want to be seeing you know, the best drivers, the, you know, the legends of the sport be around as as much as possible, it's, it's a shame we won't see him at the very top because it would it would have been nice to have seen you know Fernando, I don't know, being a Mercedes or even a Red Bull. That that'd be strange to see, but it'd be good to see. Um, so I'm I'm always for having the biggest names in the sport. I'd like to see him challenge. But on on the flip side, you know the the, the argument against it is you want to be seeing young drivers get a chance. You know I look at. I look at George Russell, for example, and I feel frustrated for the guy. I want to, I want to be. I, I know the guy has a lot of ability, and I want to be seeing him in a top team. But these young drivers won't be getting a chance if these, you know, these legends of the sport hang around for a long time. Yeah, I mean, just my point on Alonso. I think, I think Renault have obviously acted where, I mean, they're in a lot of sort of trouble regarding they're not sort of competing where they believe they should be. Um, I think Alonso is obviously a he's an ex- exceptional driver. It's double sign world champion. Um, I mean, I personally believe that they've made the wrong decision. I don't think that Alonso is obviously there for the long term. I don't think that uh, I agree with what you're saying that the likes of you know Guan Yu Zhou in F two, I think he's been exceptional for you know the Renault Academy. And I think it would be great to see someone like him get the chance. Um, but, I mean, I mean, is it good to have Alonso back in the sport? Of course it is. We love Fernando Alonso. But I just think right now, I think, I don't, I just don't see the logic of him coming back to sit mid-table where we know that he doesn't exactly. want to be. Because the, the fear that I have, again, as a, as a, as a purist that I find the sport, is that I want to be seeing... Alonso, you know, getting extra performance out of that car and, you know, getting shock results. What I don't want to be seeing because, let's be honest, you know, Renault performed well over the weekend, but generally speaking, they've got the worst engine. They have been struggling. And I don't want to be seeing the Fernando Alonso, you know, the one that we saw at McLaren, just constantly complaining and creating a bad atmosphere because if he's going to be doing that, that, that in, in my eyes, that's, that's just a waste of a seat. Yeah, I think there's a few schools of thought on this. I think, first of all, when I was thinking about this since last week, I realised that perhaps, in, in Fernando's case, he's not necessarily thinking about next year. I think he knows that with the regulations being fixed for next season, that 
we're not expecting Renault to become championship contenders uh, anywhere. I mean, we saw what Racing Point are doing, whether that's legal or not. We don't expect Renault to be challenging Mercedes or Ferrari or Red Bull next season for those top honours. But I think Fernando's looking for that second year when the rules have changed completely, the massive change in regulations. Of course, we were expecting in 2021, it's been pushed back a year to accommodate the current COVID situation. So I think Alonso's hedging his bets on that. And we know he wanted to get back into Formula 1. And I feel like he's waited for the opportunity to get back into the sport. And I don't think it's presented itself in the form that he would have wanted, i.e. via a Mercedes, a Ferrari or a Red Bull, as unlikely as those options seemed on the surface. So I think he's just hedged his bets and gone to the one seat he knows he could definitely get and where that will take him for 2022, not necessarily next year. One thing it does do is it gives the chance for Esteban Ocon to prove his worth against not only Daniel Ricciardo, but Fernando Alonso. So uh, a good opportunity for uh, for Esteban Ocon, who showed a lot more pace this weekend than we were expecting, the Esteban Ocon of old, if you like, to really get in there. But um, I just want to mention, before we move on to the Drivers' Academy situation at Renault, I've been quite outspoken on this. And... I've seen on social media a lot. One thing I did notice this week in response to Alonso joining Renault, a lot of people saying it seemed the obvious choice because the two drivers that I mentioned, Guan Yu Zhou and uh, Christian Lungard, they do not have the super license points required to join a Formula One team. Now, that is true. That is a fair point. And for those of you that don't know, you do need a super license to compete in Formula One. And other than the age requirements and other things, one of the minimum requirements to obtain a super license and race in Formula One is you need to have 40 super license points, 4-0. Now, currently, Guan Yu Zhou or Christian Lungard, neither of them have that. They have enough points to compete in F2, but realistically speaking, I think Zhou needs to finish in the top four in F2. Lungard needs to finish in the top seven. And I believe both of those drivers is more than capable of achieving that. And I feel that Renault could have perhaps given them the benefit of the doubt and give them time to prove their worth to give them an opportunity. Because Fernando Alonso is nearly 40. Don't get me wrong. These guys need to accumulate the number of uh, super license points. And for those of you interested, um, if you win the F2 Championship, you'll get 40 points. The same with the F3 Championship. That's why Mick Schumacher has enough points and uh, to race in Formula 1 tomorrow if he wanted to and I think another name we mentioned Jack Aitken who left the Renault Academy to join Williams uh, even though he doesn't have enough points he has enough to do practice point a practice license I won't go into the details of that because it'll boil to tears and that but loads of things to look at if you're ever interested but the point I'm making is that Guan Yu Zhou and Lungard, despite not having those super license points which people may have felt contributed to that decision to take Alonso back I feel like Renault could have probably supported their drivers better and say, okay, we'll give you up until a certain point in the season to see if we believe you're going to finish in a high enough position to get into Formula One. And if they don't, then go with Alonso. But uh, I think they've kind of rushed that decision more on uh, marketability and the money that Alonso can bring into the team and the fans. I mean, as much as I love to see Alonso back in the sport, I just feel like that ship has sailed. Let it go. I mean, we've got Kimi, and we all love Kimi, but Kimi's not really been playing around with Formula One. He just does it as a hobby, as he said in the Netflix documentary. And uh, we love Kimi for that. But no, I, I think Renault... You won't mention his Pele interview. No, I, 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 I think Renault... Um, 
I'm starting to question what is the point of their driver academy because bar Ferrari, they have more drivers signed up than anyone else. And they've already lost a few drivers like Jack Hake and Hartem Markelov. Two very good drivers capable of perhaps being in Formula 1 one day. Certainly Jack Aitken. Uh, but it's again, it's another day where they've potentially put two drivers in a position where they may have to look elsewhere to get a job in Formula 1. As hard as that seems to be year after year. So um, going back to the final part, we've got ten probably 10 minutes left of this podcast. Um, you'll be happy to know, guys. Um, I think it's good to look ahead for the Hungary Grand Prix preview. So, of course, this weekend, it'll be the third race in our first triple head of the season where we will be going to Hungary. And, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts, guys? Of course, uh, this is going to be a track very different to Austria in its nature, a track that's very heavily reliant on downforce, not necessarily engine power. So do we think Mercedes are going to go free for free, or do we think this might be the track where Max Verstappen and Red Bull start to get their campaign underway? Well, if um, if Mercedes are dominant here, then... That will be um, that will be very ominous for the rest of the field. I I I, I just feel that Mercedes have got have got the overall package. I I, I feel I, I feel they've got the season covered. Yeah, I, I I agree on that. I mean, whether Mercedes are you know a track that might not suit them as like Austria, um, it might suit Verstappen a bit better. I mean, for me personally, I believe obviously one of those cars is going to come out on top, but. I think we've mentioned them quite a lot today. All eyes are definitely on Ferrari this weekend with um, these new upgrades. And are they able to like to get a bit closer to them? I mean, it's for me the the most amount of pressure is on them compared to Mercedes and Red Bull. You're right, Luke, because they need to perform here because after this we've got a double header at Silverstone and they're not going to be anywhere with that engine power so they need to be getting a strong result this weekend yeah, too and I, and I predict Mercedes really, to do better if there they don't, yeah if they don't get if they don't get um, some good haul of points this weekend I'll go as far as to say they'll be at the championship um, come the end of the um Double header at Silverstone. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, Corny. I think, I think they're out of it now. Yeah, I think they're out of it now. No, I mean, obviously, you know, we've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's Ferrari. If anyone can turn it around, it's them. Yeah. Lord knows they've had the, the experience over I mean, the years. I, but, I, um, I call Ferrari like Man United. You just don't rule them out, do you? Sort of thing. But exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but I, I mean, the point I was making was that I think that it is a tough one because Ferrari are fast track upgrades and. They whether or not they're going to bring more, we did we expect them to bring some more, but Vettel has said that's probably all that we've got for the time being, which I'd be a bit surprised if that was the case. But they have a lot of questions to ask, they've got to deal with the drag coefficient, engine power aside, and this shouldn't be a track where this is going to be a factor as much. It will still be a problem, but nowhere near as much as somewhere like Austria, for example, or Silverstone. But we're going to see how good that car is going to be, at least in the corners. Now, Ferrari said with the upgrades on the car. Their strongest attribute, surprisingly, is in the slower corners. So this may be an opportunity for them to demonstrate how good they are. And of course, they really need to find out if these upgrades work because there's no in-season testing. The wind tunnel running is very limited. And let's be honest, the stopwatch does not lie. It's the best reference point. So they're going to be under a lot of pressure to deliver. And of course, Charles Leclerc, despite his heroics in the last race, owes a performance now to his team after taking himself and Vettel out of that race. And of course, Sebastian Vettel desperately needs to get his season underway. And I think we should talk briefly on his future as well before we go back to the rest of the preview on Hungary, that 
now that Alonso's at Renault, Bottas has agreed in principle uh, a new deal with Mercedes. Was that's just broke this afternoon? Um, not it hasn't been signed, but they've agreed in principle, and that's uh, uh, there's a lot to unpack from that one based on. Mercedes wanted to maintain that stability and hopefully this will allow Hamilton to sign his new deal, of course, when that comes around. But it seems to be going well with Mercedes, which means that with those two doors potentially shut, where else can Vettel go? Because Red Bull themselves, Christian Horner on the pit wall uh, during practice mentioned to David Croft on Sky that they were going to be keeping Max and Alex Albon on for next season. Now, there's been plenty of opposition from Dietrich Mateschitz, the owner of Red Bull, on this. And Helmut Marcos teased this idea as well, that Sebastian Vettel could come home to Red Bull. Now that we've heard from Christian Horner, who's as reliable as anyone at Red Bull, do we feel that that door is firmly shut on Sebastian? And if it is, where else can he go? What options are there? I don't think the door's shut quite on Vettel with Red Bull. I mean, they... To, to win four world titles there, you, to shut a door on him like that is just obscene. Um, I do feel that it's going to be very much, much more difficult for him to take that Red Bull seat because Albon's performing well, Verstappen's the number one. Um, but, I mean, I think it's smart business for Mercedes to keep hold of Bottas. He's not done a foot wrong. Um, we obviously feel for someone like George Russell, he may not have got the chance early enough as possible, but... I feel that Valtteri's done enough to keep that seat and it, it does promote Lewis for an extra contract again, which he deserves. So, no, I don't think Vettel's door is shut on Red Bull fully, but we never know. With Red Bull, as good as Vettel is, you know, as you said, Luke's a four-time world champion and everything, that dynamic would not work. Could you could you imagine Vettel and Verstappen being in the same team? Yeah. God, they, 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 they've been clashing enough on track as it is. Yeah. Well, it, was, you know, it would be fun to watch, I must admit. Yeah, Vettel and Hamilton yeah. would be great as well. well <laughs> but obviously, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it's a good dynamic corner. You mentioned it. Obviously, we'll come back to, obviously, we'll come back to that in a second. But it's just the thought of, yes, you're absolutely right that Verstappen is the team leader. And, of course, Red Bull want to back him. But let's not forget, Vettel is the Red Bull golden boy. He's the man that made Red Bull what they are today. Part, you know, A big part of that. And despite Verstappen not having the car that Vettel clearly had in terms of relative performance to their rivals and winning championships, there is always going to be that sense that there's always going to be frustration from Max, as you mentioned, how he said that the car's not quick enough. And uh, that could always play potentially in favour of someone like Vettel, who could be committed to Red Bull for a few more years, whereas Max's future at Red Bull will always be in doubt if Red Bull cannot provide him the car to win the championship. Yeah, I, 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 I do agree in, you know, in that sense, but... You you know you put all those 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 thoughts together that that would be pure carnage, you know within you know during the season because you'd have a Verstappen isn't too sure about his future, you know the, as you said the, the the previous Golden Boy coming back it would it would unsettle quite a lot and God, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about it right now and there would be a lot of high profile incidents there I feel. I mean just to end on that scenario possibly with with Vettel you could sort of be a bit silly about it. You could say Verstappen on, and uh, Albon in Red Bull and then, you know, if, if Gasly look, decides to move on at you know, you could put Vettel with the torpedo. You know, that that could be really good for him. <laughs> wow. But I can't see, as much as we'd love to see Vettel and Kvyat, that 
I don't think it's going to happen. No, that'd I, be a shame. Personally, I, 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 I think Alvatore quite happy with that. Go back to China up. and have a look at Kvyat Turn One. That is the greatest interview I've ever seen with Vettel and Kvyat. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I can't see Vettel in a team. Uh, in the middle bottom half of the I mean he's with one of Ferrari at the moment but, um, <laughs> but I can't see him leaving Ferrari to go to somewhere like that so uh, okay guys uh, just to round off this part of the podcast now because we're coming quite close to the end I'm going to ask for your predictions for Hungary who do we think is going to be in our top three do we expect to see Mercedes dominate your Red Bull going to challenge will Ferrari get back to form will we see a surprise uh, in the midfield getting another podium perhaps um, I reckon it's going to be very similar to last season. I, I think Red Bull could be closer. So I'm going to predict another Lewis Hamilton for Stappen battle. I, I, I can't call who's going to win it. Similar to I'm last year. I'm going to go with though. another close. Lewis Hamilton for Stappen battle with Valtteri Bottas in third. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, Luke, what about you? Um, I'm and expecting... Serious predictions. <laughs> Personally, I believe that Hamilton or Bottas will be the front runners. I think Verstappen may be a bit closer, but I, I really just want to see Ferrari get up there and possibly challenging, you know, sort of maybe just at the edge of the podium positions. I can't see them winning, but I think, again, as Courtney mentioned, I think Mercedes are going to be strong. I am going to go, uh, me personally, I am going to go with uh, Hamilton winning. I think Verstappen's going to be second. I reckon Bottas, or I reckon one of the top three are going to have trouble. I reckon it might be Bottas might have some trouble from somewhere. I think there's every chance that we may see a McLaren on the podium again. Oh. Now, I mentioned no. before, the characteristics at Hungary promote cars that are very handy in the corners. Now, whilst I agree the racing point is very handy, a point you made earlier in the episode, Courtney, how McLaren have been performing almost on par with racing point on a track that favours... Uh, engine power and high speed corners Hungary is not a track that favours that it goes the other way in terms of philosophy so cars that have good uh, drivability and also deal in the slower corners two traits that the McLaren cars are very very strong at and I think given how well they've managed their races so far do not be surprised if we see a Lando Norris hero moment again or perhaps Carlos Sainz may... I mean, Carlos Sainz has been fast. He's just not had the rub of the green that Lando has had in the first few races. But don't be surprised if we see another shot. I think the track, Hungary, tends to throw more shocks up like that than you'd think. And uh, don't be surprised to be, see another surprise um, in that race as well. And, and I certainly hope we do get some more crazy races because we've waited so long for this and it's so good to finally be talking about Formula One again. And, uh, and I think... With that in mind, guys, I think it's probably a good opportunity to wrap this episode up in the history books. So, uh, once again, Courtney, thank you very much for your expert insight and uh, your analysis. Of course, it's always a pleasure to have you on there with me. Yeah, probably with this... this one. And um, a big thank you to Luke. I've, um, I've enjoyed doing this. Yes, uh, yeah, thank you to Luke as well for joining us on this episode. I'm sure to have you on many episodes in the future as well. So, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. And of course, guys, all that's left to say is uh, look forward to the race this weekend. Hopefully it proves to be another barnstormer in this edition of the championship. Of course, very much shortened for the time-wise and probably going to be a European calendar. Of course, the announcement of Mugello and Soshi in at the end of September. Of course, Mugello hosting Ferrari's 1000th race in Tuscany. So it'll be the week after the Italian Grand Prix. And uh, I can't think of a more awkward 
Ferrari car at the moment to race around the thousandth right. race. All the sentiment and all the emotion and history is going to be there, but the car probably won't be up to scratch, even though Ferrari will have an advantage in knowledge. But uh, yeah, unless they improve that car, it's going to be a bit worrying. I but mean, if, they could improve from their battle from 10th to 9th. You never know. Possibly. <laughs> Hopefully they get on top of it. But uh, yeah, moving on from that, of course, plenty of new races. Obviously, Sashi confirmed and of course, potentially races... Uh, in October, there's going to be more European events in Imola and Hockenheim, maybe. But of course, we'll have to wait and see how that unfolds. And of course, if we find out in the week, we will let you know on our respective social media pages at DNF1 underscore F1 podcast, of course. So uh, make sure to check those out. And uh, all that's left to say, guys, is thank you very much for joining us on another episode. Please like and share and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're watching us on YouTube or if you're watching us and listening on your favourite podcasting platform make sure to like, share and follow us on there as well thank you very much for your undying support and uh, all that's left to say is uh, take care, enjoy the race this weekend and we will see you on the next DNF1 F1 podcast see you soon Podcast Network. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.